Thank you for tuning in to the First Gen Hunter Podcast, the go-to resource for those seeking to establish a foundation in hunting knowledge, skills, and tactics. Hello from me, Kent Boucher. Remember me? I apologize for it being so long since we last talked. Two weeks. Uh, hopefully you saw my Facebook post last week, last Wednesday evening, where I told you that I would not be able to have an episode running this week. Um, unfortunately, uh, just with the busyness going on right now, actually there's several reasons, okay? First of all, I'm talking to you right now from a beautiful country lawn in the granite state the state of new hampshire one of the first states in this year union and uh, it's beautiful hopefully you can hear some of the birds uh, one of the most forested states believe it's about 90 percent of the surface area of this state is uh covered in trees there's also a lot of ponds did a little fishing if you uh, again follow me on social media you would have seen that by this point uh, but also on the way here, I, you know, I was planning to edit up this episode for last week. Um, but with all the moving around and stuff and not really having much of a home base over the last few weeks because, uh, travel and, uh, you know, we're in the middle of a huge move We're rewiring our old farmhouse that we're moving into. And, uh, we've been burning through our, uh, cell data, which then they put you on like the slow data, kind of thing i think or your phone only goes on low data mode or something like that i'm not really sure how it all works but uh it was taking forever to download these files from the cloud burn up more uh data incurring more overuse fees and uh in the midst of that frustration i realized i was like hey it's okay when we get to the hotel tonight we'll get on the wi-fi get this thing uploaded and everything i realized i did not pack my charging cord big problem and i didn't realize that until i was you know probably like six hours away from home so there was there was no going back uh but thankfully nice little shout out to my sister-in-law incredibly generous let me borrow her cord so this week while i'm here i'm able to get this one up for you so hopefully there's no more disruptions there could be though because life is really crazy right now in our for us but i'm hoping that uh you know we'll be able to get back to a regular schedule all that to say this one was worth the wait. We had the privilege of talking to Mr. Daniel Casey of Casey Arms down in Romance, Arkansas, Central Arkansas. And you may have heard the name Daniel Casey before because he has had his own TV show. Yes, his own. Not just like, you know, this guy in the background on. No, his own TV show on the History Channel uh, several years ago. And it was all about how he uses these uh you know some people might say archaic antique i don't know what what all the words are for old but these these skills from a world in an age gone by of blacksmithing and uh of course this being a hunting podcast we're kind of like uh-huh and what are you blacksmithing you know we got our hopes up we're hoping that he's going to say some kind of hunting equipment and that is exactly what he does he forges knives he forges spearheads and really 
fascinating. I think this is what takes him to a new level from most guys that still do blacksmithing now, not to take anything away from them. But Daniel goes to the level of actually making functional firearms, flintlock rifles, um, might even do some, I don't know if he does any matchlock stuff. I should have asked him that. Um, does uh, uh, what he calls a Fowler, which is a, a really old uh, style of shotgun. I've even seen him make a cannon before on his TV show. And so we are just honored to have somebody with the kind of skill and uh, uh, really a, a fun person to talk to, too. We're just really fortunate to have him come on the show. And he's going to talk also a lot about what you can hunt down in Arkansas. Uh, there might be some surprising uh, uh, topics in this, including a Cajun-style hog hunt, which uh, has me all sorts of intimidated to even think about. But, uh, hey, uh, if that's your thing, you know, hope uh, hope you uh, enjoy it. So uh, there's so much here to unpack. Uh, Brandon and I just had a great time talking to Daniel. Again, I'm sorry about the delay in the release of this one. Hopefully, there won't be any uh, any more delays going forward. And I hope you are enjoying your summer, getting out there with your family, maybe getting a little bit of fishing in, and uh, hopefully getting that prep done uh, for uh, deer season and whatever other fall hunting season you have coming up here very soon. That's, uh, that's it for me for this one. Let's go ahead and uh, get into it. Episode number 61 of the First Gen Hunter Podcast, an interview with Mr. Daniel Casey of Casey Arms. Hey, Brandon, how's life on the East Coast? Oh, man, life's great, man. We're in, you know, rolling into summer, enjoying some fishing, enjoying the outdoors, enjoying the prep work and doing the countdown to hunting season coming up. So, man, every, as every day passes by, you know, we're looking forward to what's ahead and enjoying what's now. So, man, it's going great. What about the Midwest? How, what's new out in your neck of the woods? You know, as I look around my room right now, my normal recording room, uh, a lot of my earthly possessions are um, are not here that were here weeks ago mm. because we are in the middle yes. of a giant move right now. And uh, yes. Yes. I feel like there's about 30 different hats in the air or balls in the air or juggling sticks yep. in the air, however you want to say it, and uh, trying to keep mm -hmm. track of all of them. But it is this podcast that helps give me something to look forward to in amidst the craziness. Yes. And it's just good to get back and talk <laughs> the outdoors, talk a little hunting yes. and uh, still have a lot mm -hmm. of fun. So, uh, you know, yes. tonight, though, we are joined by somebody from, you know what? He might even share the same time zone as you. I, I guess I don't really know. Uh, <laughs> he's uh, he's we, we kind of <laughs> form a Bermuda Triangle here. We joked earlier in the call. Uh, I'm in mm -hmm. Iowa. You're in Delaware, and our guest, Mr. Daniel Casey of Casey Arms, is representing the great, quickly being found out, state of Arkansas. Yes. How are you, Daniel? Doing good, guys. How are y'all? Great, great. We're so glad you could be on the great. call with us tonight. Now, we, we need to figure this question out. Are you technically in the central time zone or the eastern time zone? Yes, I am central standard time. Good, good, good. Nice. The, the right time. The right time. <laughs> <laughs> I, 
you know, you know what? I think Brandon every week after a recording night wishes he was on uh, Central Standard Time too when he wakes up in the morning. <laughs> well, you know, you know how it is. Is all of us, all of us being dads. You know, the it's so funny. You know, as you have kids, and you know, the older you get, you know, the more you wish you had naps. But you know, the older your kids get, they cycle out of the nap phase, and you're like, man, you guys don't know how good it was when you could take naps every day. <laughs> One day oh, you're going to wish you could take a nap every day. <laughs> yep. I remember hating naps. I don't yeah. know what happened. Yes. And, and as I like track myself getting older, you know, I'm trying to like to pay, pay attention to like little details of, of transition in each part of life, you know, with having kids, you're trying to, trying to yeah. like live in the moment, you know, but I'm also trying to be like, so at what point do I become an old man, you know? And one of those, yeah. so, you know, like you yeah. see, you see the gray hairs coming in that, but then like yes. the other thing I notice is that more than ever before, I functioned so much better with like a 10 minute nap after work. You know what I mean? Like I can, I can be so much more productive <laughs> yes. and I just think to myself, you know, this is the beginning of like sitting in my easy chair someday and uh, just <laughs> passing out while everyone else is sitting around talking and I wake up an hour later, you know? <laughs> yes. Well, can I, can I tell you something else that you probably have to look forward to? Oh, so no. I, I recently, I recently realized that I'm in a new marketing group. Um, you know how, you know, Facebook and different things are always, you know, they're always, you know, uh, marketing to you for, you know, phase of life you're in or whatever else. <clears throat> and recently I received a random ad from nowhere about, um, people who need t-shirts who are, who are looking for facilitating a good look for the dad bod. <laughs> so I'm like, okay, so you're, you're more, you knew that, that I'm already there. And so you're marketing to me for that. So yeah, I feel, I feel kind of offended, but not really. It's all good. <laughs> well, until we start getting AARP and uh, help, I've fallen and I can't get up button ads. I guess we'll be all right. Yeah, 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 we'll be thankful for what we have. Exactly. Yeah, Brandon, Brandon's going to be hunting with life alert here pretty soon. <laughs> I mean, I guess that could come in handy if, if something happens. That's so you right. Know. That's right. Oh man, I got some good life alert stories out there, but but we don't have time. We need to get rolling with our episode tonight. But but uh, it's good to have fun, and this is an episode that I have really been looking forward to. In fact, Daniel. Um, you don't know this because I haven't told you this yet, but I was sitting there in um, during the rut this year in Illinois. So I, I hunted in both Illinois and Iowa this last year and um, nothing was happening. And I was like, you know who a great person would be to interview? It'd be Daniel Casey from Casey Arms. And I started uh, I started uh, down the trail of trying to find some contact information for you. And then I think I looked up and I saw a buck and then I uh, forgot about it for a while. <laughs> and, so, <laughs> and so I was... Hey, I'm all right with being uh, my attention being diverted by a buck. That's, that's cool. right. That's right. <laughs> right. So, uh, no, I think you might, you might be good luck. So I might be uh, looking to do another interview you again during this uh coming rut oh, yeah. so. <laughs> there you go <laughs> but no it, it is an honor to have you on on the show tonight and um you know daniel if you if you follow the history channel you probably have seen daniel a couple different times on there he's been on the forged and fire uh knife make well you shouldn't even just say knife making show generally speaking that's kind of the first 
it's it's a competition and that's like the first level of the competition to kind of sort out okay who's going to be the finalists here uh for these uh these blacksmiths that we have in on the show and they generally have you make a knife for that round if i remember correctly but then the following round it could be any <laughs> any kind of edged we- weapon in history oh, yeah. and uh uh it, it is a co- it was a really cool show i think it's still on and um daniel was on that but he also had his own show on the history channel called iron and fire and that was one of my all-time favorite uh is, do do they classify that as reality tv i never get what what technically qualifies I'm as real so. <laughs> <laughs> but uh that's my kind of reality tv that's for sure super yes. educational making uh making guns making cannons making knives and and all sorts of all sorts of incredible uh weapons and uh you know it it tapped into some boyhood uh i guess you could say maybe like dreams that i had you know i used to always run around the yard and and uh find like some kind of curved stick and then i'd go sort do you guys have a junk drawer in your house when you're a kid we just called it the ju- oh, oh yeah the, the junk drawer you know it's like this mm-hmm. miscellaneous mm-hmm. item drawer catch-all and for some reason we would always have this this terrible pink like like hot pink string that would instantly start unraveling and everything and that was always what i what i had to go with and so i'd tie one end of that to the one end of that curved stick and then the other end of the other and i'd try and make my own bow and you know shoot these uh these the straightest sticks i could find in the yard and uh the only thing i was really a danger to was uh the the uh grass about 10 feet in front of me so i never uh, i never <laughs> quite achieved any kind of level of fine weapon making but yeah. uh, i think it was your show that kind of like that went back to that that idea and you know there's probably probably some level of like primal instinct that still exists in us even in the modern age you know kind of like when you see uh, you see like uh, uh well you guys both have sons have you guys ever had your uh, kids like around a campfire before and yeah. uh uh, whatever it is about little boys, and I'm sure little girls do it too, but, but especially, uh, and I remember being this way when I was a kid, you get a little, uh, a little boy near a campfire and give him a long stick and he's got to be poking yep. in that fire, throwing stuff in that fire. You know, it's kind of like that. Mm-hmm. And, the, and the other thing you do is once you hit that rite of passage moment, when you get your first pocket knife, all you want to do is mm-hmm. go around the yard sharpening sticks. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yep. Yep. <laughs> and uh, so I think there's got to be some kind of like innate part of us that that uh, makes us think, hey, I need to be uh, find a way to lay up some meat for the wintertime here. And uh, <laughs> undeniably so. Undeniably so. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, and yeah, and, and the thing thing about it is though, some of us are terrible at it, like me, and then some of us were were, <laughs> were truly meant to do that, and that would be Daniel. <laughs> so uh, well, I love that I get to fulfill all of these people that I make weapons for, whether it be a chopper or an axe or a sword or a rifle, that I'm fulfill, fulfilling their boyhood dreams. You know, they always thought, right. watched mm. Davy Crockett and wanted a rifle or watched. And wanted a tomahawk or what have you, you know. I love that I get to take their scrap metal at times, whether it was grandpa's cold chisel or fireman's axe or mm-hmm. whatever it be, and transform it into something 
that they'll use with them, their sons for the next generation. Oh, that is so cool. Yeah, that's really cool. And um, yeah. Yeah, I, I think you're exactly right. You know, you're, you, you look back at how a, a good, a really good friend of mine, uh, shout out to Mr. Lucas Fritch, who I've, I've mentioned many times in this show. We talk about how, you know, in an older way of doing society, you have people locally who were skilled at something. And so you went to those people to, uh, you know, do that trade, you know, and, yeah. and, um, you know, I think obviously, you know, here we are again, the Bermuda triangle, <laughs> you know, probably, yes. probably representing a couple thousand miles of, of round trip separation from each other here. And yet we're talking like we're at deer camp, but, um, yeah. You know, so there's there's certainly things about the modern age that are wonderful and and great and have have gotten information out there to people that's helpful or even in the case of being able to get on Daniel's website and putting in an order for you know an incredible incredible work of art, uh, but also useful tool. Uh, but there is there is something that I think that that represents that we've kind of lost, you know, from, from a society of, you know, every town having a blacksmith and every town, uh, having, uh, um, you know, uh, somebody who was good in medicine and somebody who, uh, uh, was maybe good in animal medicine and somebody who was, you know, had a teacher had a, you know, and on and on down the list, you know, uh, these people that yeah. had these, these skills that, um, you know, you could really take care of your community by going around and celebrating what each person was gifted with, you know, what their talents were. And, uh, we've kind of, you know, <laughs> we've gotten to a point where we can, we can uh, just get on our cell phone and use an app to solve a lot of our problems. Yeah, no doubt. And, you know, I think that still exists a little bit in some rural areas. There sure. is still some sense of community, but it's much more widespread in that in distance, I guess you'd say, to where it used to be local where you could go two or three miles and find one. Now you might have to go a few counties over, you know, but yeah. word of mouth yeah. is still huge for my business. And people, yeah, old farmers will bring me plows they want sharpened still because they know I'm a blacksmith, even though that's not what I do is sharpen plows, you know, but I can. <laughs> right. That's awesome. And if the time yeah. is right, I will do it for them. But yeah. yeah, I think that it still exists. But the more major the metropolis you approach, the smaller the chances of you finding that individual are, you know. Yep. Yeah. 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 Well, and, and I mean, even, you know, Daniel, like on your website, you know, I just intrigued by the fact that, you know, you reference, you know, if you're looking for something today, you know, this, this isn't for you, but if you're looking for a custom product, that's, you know, that time is spent, focus is spent, effort is spent to, to doing it right and making it special, you know, then, then this is, that's what you're, you know, if that's what you're looking for, you know, wow, you're going to find something awesome here. And I mean, in, in this day and age in, you know, high production and just output, like, man, just, you know, and I feel like yeah. the service and, and what people get, you know, it, in inside the hunting industry, outside the hunting industry, you know, whatever you want to say, it's it's not really necessarily a good thing. The output that's focused on in versus, you know, you look at someone like you, custom products, and you're just being real. You're setting an expectation that, hey, this is going to take some time, but it's going to be awesome. And so it's, it's good yeah. to see that style as well. Right, right. And I always try to keep the attitude that 
you paid X to make it what you thought, but I want to take it a step further than that. Mm. So not only will you mm. be wowed by it, but it will last you longer and be sturdier and et cetera. Yeah. You know, like that's my goal is to leave no shameful work behind. So mm. yeah. I yeah. think that's what is lost in the mass production world in which we live, you know, is nobody really cares yeah. about the quality. It's about how much pesos are coming in. So. Yeah. Yeah. And you look at some of the, yeah. you know, of course we're, we're, it's a hunting podcast here. So we're really in tune with how we're treating our natural world, you know, and, yeah. um, I could, man, I could, and I actually plan to do several more just conservation focused, uh, episodes in the future with some different biologists and researchers and things like that. But, but, um, you look at how we, we, uh, treat, our uh our environment you know uh in an age where you focused on putting forth a a product you could stand behind and that you cared about as much as your customer did you know mm -hmm. there was a lot less waste whereas Absolutely. whereas yep. when you're mass producing something you know it's just it's financially a better thing and because you're not going to waste your time running around with somebody on on customer support just pacify them by saying okay throw that one in the garbage and we're gonna yeah. we're gonna send you a new one and and we yeah. we we treat our planet and the resources that it has as some some sponge that can be endlessly squeezed for, for, uh, you know, more resource and, and, uh, yeah. you yeah. know, it, it, it leads to a lot of the problems that we see now. Absolutely, yeah. man. We could get really deep and off the subject of hunting really fast right here, because I'm a firm believer that we live in a society where it's the princess on the mattress with the pee underneath it. And we just keep adding mattresses to our society, yeah. increasing the bubble wrap around our children. And we're, we're raising a bunch of snowflakes <laughs> and that's going to really burn yeah. us in the end. Yeah. You know, whether we yeah. like it or not, it's time to bite the bullet and realize that, you know, kids need to learn how to work and need to learn responsibility and yeah. that it's not a free for everybody. It's not Burger King. You don't get it how you want it. Yeah. <laughs> and I mean, we're watching, we're watching the moral decay of America, just like Greece and Rome and Persia yeah. and everywhere else we're about to hit our clock, you know, yeah. and it's because yeah. of mindless people and the 3% screaming louder than the rest of us. Yeah. But yeah, I'll stop right there. Yeah. No, I, I, no, I mean, I think you're, man, you're, you're, you're preaching to the choir and man, we totally agree with that. And I mean, man, the chance to, the tra the chance to, to train kids, you know, we were talking a little bit ago just about our kids and, the chance to train our kids up and, and teach them that work ethic, teach them love for the Lord and these different things that we talk about on the show. I mean, and, and, you know, from Daniel, from your perspective, man, being able to create weapons and, and just the care that, you know, I, you know, just struck me when you mentioned that just a minute ago, you know, someone brings you something that's meaningful to them and you transform Absolutely. it into, I mean, that is yeah. like, Wow. I mean, you know, and, and I think it's, it's interesting because the small business in, you know, the mom and pop shops, they're constantly being pressured to, to go into high production. You know, when think of the money that you could make, think of the, if you just were able to, and you know, it's interesting that <clears throat> for many small businesses, they're not able to have a work-life balance because it's like, you can tell they're conflicted. Like, Oh, mm. I mean, I, I just, I need to, I need to do more, but man, but I have my family and how do I do, you know, and there's obviously a balance to it all, but man, there's something to be said for someone who can 
be a, a, a man's man, a family man like yourself, you know, taking care of your kids, your family, but also loving what you do and being passionate about helping other people, you know, cre- you know, have meaningful things. I mean, so there's a, there's a balance to be had for all of us and b- the ability to train our kids in that is, is key. Yep. Absolutely. Yep. Yep. I feel like, you know, by no means am I comparing myself to God at, at, on any level, but what sure. I do is very similar to our creator in that I have been blessed with the ability to take something rusty that'll be thrown away by most of society and transform mm-hmm. it into something beautiful that will be treasured by generations to come with love yeah. and care and time, you know? Mm. And yeah. I mean, you, yeah. who can't apply that to their life? if they believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. So yeah, yeah, that's right. Love it. That all, will love preach, it. Boys. That's right. That's yes. right. We all, <laughs> we all need, we all need refinement. We all need, uh, we all yes. need the uh, dull edges sharpened up and the rusty spots buffed mm-hmm. out. And, and, uh, no doubt about it. We, we look forward to the day when we're a finished product, right? <laughs> yes. yes, yes. And the fire and the hammer blows will, will be worth it at the end. Right? That's, yes. that's right. Well said. Amen. Well, let's uh, let's talk a little bit more about you know. So you, we mentioned here, and, and I feel like we've only halfway introduced Daniel here. <laughs> so if you're listening, you know that Daniel's really good at blacksmithing, and uh, so good that he's uh, had his own his own uh, cable TV show, and is he's been featured on other shows and and that. But but Daniel is is a blacksmith who specializes, as you'll see in the title to this episode, in antique weapons building and not just uh replicas they're the real deal you know you want you want to go out and and shoot a deer with your uh new muzzle loader by all means go ahead and do that you know it's 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 fully functional antique you know throwback to an era gone by the real deal Mm -hmm manufactured product and so obviously we want to talk you know quite a bit about what exactly goes into that um but you know the attention that daniel's gathered from this has gained from this is is really quite impressive and so daniel i we know about the history channel appearances but have you been featured anywhere else with your work before so I have also had the opportunity to appear on Carbon TV, a streaming online TV channel, uh, a series that they had called Heartlandia. And we oh, were able cool. to take the host of that series, a gentleman named Gunnar Scott. We took him fish gigging and took him hog hunting and oh, he got cool. to hammer out some knives. And we've been nice. uh, also honored to be featured in Muzzleloader and Muzzle Blast magazine, as awesome. well as, you know, articles in local newspapers and local TV appearances. But we're also, uh, I am the voice for an audio tour in the Huntington Museum and Gardens in California. And oh, I'm working on cool. right now building a rifle and bowie knife for the historic Arkansas Museum in Little Rock. Oh, that is so fantastic. Lots of, wow. lots of irons in the fire, per se. Yeah, definitely. Wow, very cool. That is that is really cool. And it's good to see your talents being recognized far and wide there. It's it's truly something to be celebrated and, and a good guy to be uh to be in the spotlight for that. So happy to hear that. Now, I love the part where you mentioned there at the end that you're, you're really involved with what's going on in your state and, and, um, celebrating, you know, the heritage of your state. I'm, I'm a huge fan of that. That's, um, 
the whole reason why my my life is uh <laughs> is uh very much a a thing of disarray right now because I'm trying to carry on some yeah. some family legacy on the yes. uh, family farm there in central mm-hmm. Iowa but um you know yesterday when we were kind of doing our pregame uh conversation you rattled off some really interesting stuff about where exactly you live and your family's uh, history uh, in in Arkansas. And I think maybe you even said, did you say in another state as well, where you guys have uh, held some roots for quite quite some time? Can you kind of give us a, the, the rundown yeah. on that? Caribou, elk, moose, antelope, coos deer, trophy whitetails, oryx, sika deer, doll sheep, and mule deer. What do all these critters have in common besides their delicious backstraps? They can't all be hunted in the same state, meaning that at least one of these game species will require you to purchase a non-resident hunting license and tag in order to hunt them. Now the rules of the tag application game are wildly diverse from state to state. And if you are looking to complete a bucket list hunt, you are going to want some help to make sure you are setting yourself up for the best opportunity possible. And that's where tag application and hunt planning agent, Alex Gruen of East to West Hunts can really help you out. If you've listened to any of the episodes we've had here on the First Gen Hunter podcast with our buddy Alex, then you know there isn't anyone who cares more about the details of tag acquisition than him. Alex not only will help you through the hoops of the tag application process, but he will also help you plan the details of your trip that will get you where you need to be in order to have your best chance at filling your tag. And he is offering a 10% discount for First Gen Hunter podcast listeners such as yourself. All you have to do is purchase a service through his website, alexgruen.com. That's A-L-E-X-G-R-U-I-N.com. And use the code FIRSTGEN10 at checkout. F-I-R-S-T-G-E-N, the number 10, and you will receive 10% off the hunt of your lifetime. So I currently live and work in Romance, Arkansas, which is central Arkansas. I'm in the foothills of the Ozark Mountains, which if you go south, you're in the Delta. you got swamps and gators and catfish and moccasins. And if you go north, you're in the hills, you know. That's and uh, awesome. it's really a great area to live in. But we trace uh-huh. our roots all the way back to Scotland originally, the McGregors, McGeehees, and Beals. But uh, in 18... 18- 35, after his service in the Revolutionary War, my fifth great-grandfather, Samuel McGeehee, was granted uh, quite a large plot of land, over a thousand acres in Mississippi, where is now Liberty, Mississippi. Hmm. And uh, his grandson, also Samuel McGeehee, built a plantation home on that land, which is still in our family to this day. Wow. It was actually yes. knocked out by a tornado this not this past spring, oh. but the previous spring. 
And oh, uh, luckily, wow. my aunt that owns it had very good insurance, and it's just now getting back to what it used to be. And uh, luckily, yeah. they were able to add a few bathrooms and some insulation to the walls. So. Nice. <laughs> it's wonderful to have roots, and I feel like visiting yeah. that place all the summers of my life greatly affected my career choice, you know? Yeah. Uh, being, being able to be around all that history and handwritten ledgers and and family wow. graveyards and, and, you know, the old house and seeing the axe marks on the timbers, hmm. all of it yeah. kind of echoes into what I do today. So yeah, it's great to have some roots, even if you're not proud of everything that your ancestors stood for. Yeah. It's good. To have yeah. Roots. yeah. That's a good way. Wow. That's a good way to put well it. Said. Yeah, for sure. Mm-hmm. Now, you know, I mentioned earlier in the, in this call, um, uh, that, Arkansas is kind of getting figured out a little bit. I think, I think you guys had this, uh, kind of, kind of, uh, good, well-kept secret about the outdoor paradise that is Arkansas. And, um, you know, you probably deserve some of this blame. <laughs> there's another, there's another, uh, uh, is it, is it an Arkansan? Arkansan. Arkansan. Okay. So oh, there you go. There, there's another Arkansan, um, uh, Mr. Clay Newcomb, who uh, keeps turning up in uh, in the hunting industry all over the place, who's uh, I think drawn quite a bit of attention to your uh, your uh, oasis there uh, in, in Arkansas. But um, man, I really want to go and uh, <laughs> try my hand at hunting in Arkansas sometime. You guys have have uh, quite the quite the place down there. You you just mentioned that you know some of the biodiversity that you have with with the wildlife. You know you got gators, I think you said in the south, but then uh, um, probably something that's more similar to what you know I have in in Iowa in the in the northern part of the state where you got a uh, um, more of the whitetail and. I imagine you probably have hogs mixed in there too, right? With the whitetails. Absolutely, man. Like I know of no other state besides maybe Texas where you could draw a tag for a gator, a hog, or a, an elk. And the hog, you don't have to draw a tag for. They are, a, you know, basically a varmint to us. Yeah. They are, you know, a nuisance species and they're hunted quite exclusively to rid the area of them. Sure. Yeah. What an adventure it is to go on a hog hunt with a spear and a pack of dogs. You know, there's <laughs> nothing more exhilarating. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. yeah. And we have My black goodness. bear and turkey and we've, you know, in the last several years, they've reintroduced elk and, and I mean, what it's such so a diverse cool. state to be able to hunt in and you can travel three to four hours in any direction and hunt something different. So, mm. Wow. Yeah. It's that good is so stuff. cool. Yeah. Well, and you guys are known for your waterfowl hunting big time, right? Yes. Yes, man. The ducks darken the sky. Mm, man, that's so cool. that is awesome. Yeah. Well, uh, Brandon and I, we're supposed to take a trip down to uh, your uh, next door neighbor, the, the right on the other side of the Mississippi River, down in the, they call it the boot heel of Missouri area. Uh, we got invited okay. on a, on a, uh, waterfowl hunt down there and and uh that guy Very was nice. was filling us in on just how good you know the arkansas and southern missouri area is for for waterfowl mm-hmm. so yeah that is yeah. i'm glad you brought that i don't up, know Brandon. him personally but i have several friends that 
<laughs> guide and taxidermy for all the duck commander boys. They frequently duck oh, hunt that's here. Really cool. Wow, nice, very cool. Yeah, that's, that's really cool. Yeah, that's uh, that's quite a state you got down there. And um, uh, I'm a wildlife nut, so I I just love it when you can find a place like that. I didn't realize that they had reintroduced elk in Arkansas. That's really cool. Is that a yeah. is that a yeah. uh, huntable uh, population now that you guys have there? So it is a draw, you know, you have to apply for a tag sure. and you might not get it for a year or two, but you can mm. get a tag. Yeah. Wow. And it's the same with alligator in Arkansas because we only have alligator in the far Southern central and Southern extreme parts of the state. So it's mm. also a draw. Okay. Sure. Sure. Yeah. That is, that is, uh, uh such a cool diverse state and, and even yeah. really kind of the the uh, only place and i mean you guys probably consider yourself more of the south but i mean close to the midwest um where there's oh, don't don't fool yourself <laughs> we are the south my friend <laughs> I, I just want a mountain range okay that's all that's all i want here in the midwest is a they, mountain they range. <laughs> ain't no mountains in arkansas y'all it's only hills only hills yeah. <laughs> man they're pretty close though the, and uh so not only the ozarks but the now i'm going to try and pronounce this correctly here the is it the washita mountain range that's correct Okay. Yeah. So, yeah. so, uh, you see, know. I grew up thinking we had mountains in Arkansas, but then I went and lived out West for a few years and I changed my opinion. <laughs> yeah, yeah, man, that is no <laughs> doubt. I have, I have family out East and, and, uh, I guess they'd classify that, you know, as, uh, they're in new England. So you got the white mountains of New Hampshire and the green mountains of Vermont and they're beautiful, but you're right. When you get out, out West, it's like, it's a, it's oh a, my goodness! It's a you can drive for four game. days staring at the same mountain and never get to it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, right. right. Yeah, yep. yeah. It's just a, it's it's a incredibly huge landscape out there. You're right. Mm -hmm. But well, I'm uh, a, I'm a little jealous of you guys because in Delaware, the highest the highest point above sea level is in the northern part of the state, and it's like 300 feet above sea level in where I'm at in Delaware. The, you know, we're probably the highest point is probably like 30 feet above sea level. <laughs> oh, wow. So I'm, I'm jealous. We're just totally flat, like completely flat in our area. So I'm, I'm a jealous. Do you, you have guys a lot of marshy ground, like swampy ground? We, we do have a fair amount of that. Yeah, we do have a fair amount of that. That's, you know, we have got some good whitetail hunting and even some sick of deer hunting um, in some area close to where I live in, in a lot of marshy areas. So, yeah. So, yeah, a lot of flat marshy area. Yeah, that is, yeah, that's, uh, Delaware's a cool state too. And now Brandon, you talk like the North part of the, the state. Now, are you talking like you're the, <laughs> the next cul-de-sac over there in, uh, yeah. in Delaware? I well, mean, come on, how I mean, far well, can it be? I, I have, I actually, in multiple times in my life have actually lived in one Northern extreme part of the state and worked in the Southern part of the state. So you can get across the state very quickly. So that's, a, that's the other thing about Delaware. <laughs> yep, yep. Boy, there's a lot of good old history in Delaware though. Oh, yes. Yeah. yeah. You know, I, I loved hearing your, you know, hearing your family history, you know, I, I can trace my family history um, also back to Scotland and uh, you know, basically in, in Delaware back to the 1600s, um, and before that, Scotland and so on. So, I mean, it's, I think it's so cool to be able to reflect back on your roots and to be able Absolutely. to 
help people. I mean, for you to be able to be doing what you're doing for people and helping them reflect back on your roots, that has got to be so satisfying for you to be able to do something like that. Yep. Yep. And though it doesn't make a difference on the income, I find it fascinating and awesome that I still work every day on my great grandfather's anvil. That's from Mm. our plantation in Mississippi. That makes a living for me and my family in 2021. Yeah. Wow. You know, like I think that my grand great grandfather would be proud if he could know that it was still making a living for his great grandkids. Yeah. No, what a blessing. No doubt wow, about that's it. incredible. Yeah. That is, that is a, uh, a, a, a great thing to consider. Um, man, the, that made me think uh, at the farm that I'm moving to, there is an old anvil there and it's, uh, attached to a huge, a huge stump. And mm. I was just looking at that the other day and I was thinking, you know, because my, my great grandfather was pounding away on that anvil at one time. And I, I mean, I don't know if, if he was the one that originally purchased it or if he got it from his dad, you know, but it just got me to think, yeah. you know, yeah. the history, not only in the anvil, but think of that tree that that thing is tacked onto, you yeah. know, that stump. If you could count, you know, it had to be like a, a hundred year old tree when they put it on there a hundred yeah. years ago, you know, just the, right. the, the yeah. historical significance and everything around us is, is, yeah. uh, worth considering i think and and uh, i think that's that's what is uh you know made your work uh so much fun to follow along with but you know uh not only uh not only with the uh antique uh um weapons that you're making and 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 the the fashion that you're doing which we're going to get into here in just a second but I, i believe if i remember right from the show you have a cabin that you live in is that correct so you could call it that. It's it's a small house. We actually, at the time we were filming the show, lived in a small cabin that was a manufactured home that looked like a cabin. It was on the land mm. when we bought it, and we have since built a house and sold that. Uh, oh, okay. That manufactured home, and it's not on the property anymore. Mm. But that manufactured home, I had my oldest was there with us and it was me and my wife and 347 square feet. And it was tight. Oh man. Oh man. And my wife and I, along with lots of friends and families help have since built a house much larger and more comfortable and nice. on the same piece of dirt. Though. That is, that is cool. And I, I remember, I remember that part now that you say that in the, in the yeah, show that I you guys were building. One of the final episodes, we kind of had a barn raising. Yeah. A lot of people came out and helped us just get the shell up. And then mm-hmm. it was another two years from there before we actually moved in, you know, but. Yeah, that's, that's really cool. The, the, a lot of, even, even in a modern structure that you're building like that, still using some old, old techniques like that of calling your neighbor and ask him to lend you a hand to build your house. That's, oh, so cool. Oh, it was such a blessing, man. The whole show was just a wonderful thing in that getting to showcase what I do and getting to talk about history and reminding people of their past and that you can be self-sufficient or at least more so. Mm-hmm. And that, you know, it's all right to get your hands dirty. Go out and build something. Yeah. Yeah. For sure. And let's let's go ahead and transition to that that part of the conversation now. Building stuff, like the specifics on doing so. <laughs> so you're yeah. using a coal forge, is that correct, Daniel? Yes, sir. Okay. And and with that, I mean 
whenever I watch, even if it's on your show or if it's on, uh, you know, Forged and Fire, and they, I love seeing everybody's face when they, they, uh, you know, like pull the tarps off of the forges that everyone's going to be using. You know, I was so <laughs> disappointed in my episode that they didn't whip out a coal forge because I had never used a gas forge before oh. when I <laughs> at Forged and Fire. So I was yeah. like, come on, come on, whip out the coal forges, but they didn't. Yeah, they probably they probably knew that you were you were uh, yeah. too in tune with that, so they probably didn't pull that one out. But you wouldn't have given the right reaction it when the uh-huh, exactly. <laughs> but, uh, about that cliffhanger, right? Yeah, right, right. And, and you know what I love about that when they pull that out on the show is, you know, as a science teacher, there's a lot of it, it's 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 a basic scientific. Uh, problem to solve you know you need this you need this combustion to happen you need to get this this coal to catch on fire and you gotta you gotta have this this chemical reaction happening uh by you know oxidizing the coal essentially so you need to get it more oxygen so you got to work the work the uh what do they call it a damper or a uh basically kind of like a air valve right that that pulls that pulls air up into the flame and uh you know, as you just kind of piece those things together, you really get to see from, you know, a, a, a really old, seemingly ornate, but overall pretty simple way of just oh, having yeah. having a fire going. And uh, yep. it's just like when your campfire is dead in the morning and you blow on the coals to get it going. That's all a blacksmith does, but just slightly larger scale. Right. Yeah. Exactly. And and I think that part is is just fun to to watch uh, people you know on the show try and struggle through that and figure that out. Or absolutely. And you know, I teach classes and from basic blacksmithing all the way to advanced bladesmithing and Damascus making, etc. Hmm. And that is half of the battle with every student is learning to control that fire. Don't yeah. let it get too big. Don't let it get too little, etc. And I mean, you have to reiterate it for the entire three to five days of the class. Pile yeah. your fire up, wet it down. It's too big. Your air hole isn't clear, you know, like, and all of those things add up to production or no production, you know? Right. right yeah. Yeah. yeah it, that I think is probably, you know, it, and from watching the show and watching people, you know, once they do get the, the flame going, that is kind of the, the part where, you know, those who are going to, who are going to pass the on to the next round, they get that part figured out. They, uh, they, they baby the fire the right way. And, and, uh, Uh you know, they're able to, to keep it going just at the right level. And those who don't, they, they can't get it figured out, but I think it's cool that, that you still use that, even though you could go for a propane forge or something like that. I think it just adds that extra historical uh, significance uh, to, to everything you're doing. But when, when I look at that, it just makes me think that, and obviously you love what you're doing. So I think you're one of those, those people who embraces the struggle, <laughs> you know, but you, there's a lot Absolutely. of the, the word toil comes to mind when I watch somebody who's uh, <laughs> working in a, in a, uh, uh, blacksmithing shop with a, a coal forge. Everything's dirty, sweating. Uh, I imagine uh, 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 forging is probably a lot better in the winter than it is in the dead of summer. Oh, 
You don't even know. You don't even know. We can get 110 degrees in Arkansas with 70% humidity, and you talk about Ugh. misery. Oh, man. yeah. Yeah. That okay. sounds horrible. <laughs> but uh, yeah. the the amount of toil that goes into that and and uh, all the, the, the hammering, I mean, do you do you think that you uh are developing any kind of like arthritis or tendonitis <laughs> or, or anything like that from just beating on metal uh like that all the time all of the above plus 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 absolutely <laughs> like i'm paying for it no doubt but it's still just as important to me as the day i started you know like i have had to add to my repertoire a 100 year old trip hammer that I used to help me mm. stretch out Damascus after I tore my rotator cuff on my right arm for the second time. I oh, decided mm. that was a good idea for the future of my career, you know? Yeah. yeah. So, you know, I have to meet in the middle somewhere and revolutionary war era blacksmiths were using power hammers powered by water wheels, you know, so mm. I don't feel like I'm breaking any rules, but no. yeah. in the same breath, yes, what I do wears on you. Like yeah. I gain 40 pounds every winter and I drop it like it's hot as soon as the temperature jumps again, you know? Hmm. Yeah. I drink more water than three people usually, but that. it's all part of the program. Yeah. That's what makes what I do have value. It's yeah. Like, it's real. It requires sacrifice and blood, sweat, and tears to give you something that is heirloom quality. Mm. It's not like on forged in fire where you walk out and in 30 minutes you whip something out, you know? Yeah. Right. That's a good point. Yeah. So, um, with that, what, and I kind of did a little bit of a rundown earlier, but on a, on a general basis, what are you typically making, uh, in your forge? So I would say that 60 to 70% of our orders are knife orders and the bulk of those are skinning knives four to six inch fixed blade belt knives in a wide variety of blade styles hmm. and a wide variety of handle materials but everybody wants a skinning knife for deer season or turkey season mm. or etc mm -hmm. and then besides that the other 40 percent is pipe tomahawks and sword canes and dueling swords and flintlock rifles and dueling pistols and pipe tomahawks and i mean if you can imagine it Antique weapon-wise, we've probably had somebody ask us to make it. So, mm, But the yeah. bulk, like I say, is a fixed-blade belt knife, you know, an everyday carry that everybody can use. And some of them will have silver inlays with it, names or dates engraved in memoriam of someone or mm -hmm. be made from the steel from, like I mentioned before, Grandpa's cold chisel or somebody's fireman's axe or et cetera. Mm -hmm. But that is the vast majority. Well, that's that's really cool. And uh, then we're going to talk about here in a little bit. You get to uh, hopefully make a few things for yourself that you get to take out into the woods with you. But, um, uh, you know, when I let's kind of go to the the uh, gun side of this. And I suppose it, it could apply to some of the tomahawks or, you know, a, a chopper. Um, I remember that in the show, you test your stuff to make sure that it, that it uh, holds up. And uh, <laughs> is it, it, does that get a little nerve wracking when you go to test a rifle or a pistol that you made that, you know, boy, I hope I got this tempering right so that this barrel doesn't, doesn't blow up in my hand or something <laughs> like that. Yeah. Yeah. Back in the first decade. Yes, absolutely. But 
you learn to trust yourself after a little while and you learn what does and doesn't work. And the wonderful thing about barrels on muzzle loaders is that they're made of the softest material available mm. so that the, when something does go wrong, they won't shatter. They swell like mm. bubble gum, you know? Okay. And I've got to see a lot of barrels over the years where people did mess up and things went wrong. And very, very rarely does a catastrophic explosion happen on a flintlock. Mm. Very rarely. That's interesting. So, <laughs> along with that and trusting your own workmanship, it's not nearly as nerve-wracking nowadays as it used to be. But mm-hmm. on the other hand, uh, a 160-layer Damascus blade that you've spent two months on doing a chop test with it sometimes oh. can make you a little nervous. But <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. No kidding. Oh, goodness. Yeah, that that would there's that consideration too, not just your safety, but what if I break this work of art? Yeah, that's oh, yeah. that's uh that's, I get to do the work all over again. <laughs> yeah, that's yeah. What makes it quality and that's what you're paying for, you know, is that yeah. I'm willing to do it again to make sure that you have something yeah that is valuable. Yep, that's that's yeah. for sure. You know, uh, uh, another thing that obviously has to be a part of all of this is, you know, the, the it's easy to get wrapped up in just the metal thing. Well, even the name of your show was Iron and Fire, but the woodworking. I mean, that's that's a whole new skill in of itself with, you know, probably some of some similar tools but largely totally different tools that you're using. And uh, you know, you got to treat wood a whole lot differently than you got to treat steel. And so was there quite a steep learning curve for the woodworking side of, of uh, what you do as well? Absolutely. Most definitely. So a little backstory. I was homeschooled. I was raised, like I said, in a large family and my parents were very invested in in serious religion, I guess you, you could call it. We didn't have television and radio, et cetera, things like that. And we just had very little exposure to the outside world. So being homeschooled, I had the option to finish my schoolwork at my pace. So if I wanted to take all day, I could. But if I wanted to get it done, I had the rest of the day to go outside. And mm. I did. And spent yeah. <laughs> those hours in the shop as a kid, you know. And I have destroyed many thousand pounds of wood and steel learning what not to do, you know, and that was right. a very important stage of the learning process is we're learning about the grains of wood and what kinds of wood work for what, but absolutely that's something that people don't realize being an artist or a craftsman, you know, unless you are only a blacksmith and only work in iron, you work in many mediums. And as a gunsmith, mm. I work in brass, in silver, in copper, in wood, in iron, in steel, mm. in cast iron. You know, there are so mm. many mediums. So the learning curve yeah. is monumental. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, I never thought of that. There is just so many different uh, metals that have to be used to go into that for the, the different the different functions of, of the rifle or the pistol or the sword, even uh, that's a yeah. great point to, to add in there. Yeah. Now there was something that I remember from the show that I absolutely was enthralled with. And that was 
during and and again we keep referencing it but it's a good reference point i suppose that most of our listeners have probably at least seen the advertisements for on the show forge and fire the this is the most dramatic part in the process the the quenching part the tempering part of the blade and uh you you mentioned that you always point the tip towards uh, well, you point the the length of the knife north and south, right? Because of the pull yeah. of of the wrist magnetic pull. And uh, yeah. do do you feel that that really helps keep a straight a straight blade, or uh, is it something that yeah it might help, but um, probably doesn't make that much of a difference? Right. Well, I'll be honest with you. From twelve or 13 episodes i can't remember because we did extra episodes that weren't used in the final product of our show Mm -hmm. iron fire but from all of that that one comment that i point my blades north to quinston has gotten me more flack than anything i've ever said in my whole life oh really from master bladesmiths and i mean i've my wife and nephews have showed me forums where people are claiming that I need to use the blood of a unicorn and the hair of a virgin to quench my blades in while I'm pointing them north, you know, like completely saying <laughs> yeah. superstition. But yeah. in all fairness and logic and tradition, I still use it every time I quench a blade. It's what I was taught. It's what's been used for generations. I cannot mm-hmm. scientifically and definitely prove to you that it makes a difference but it makes me happy and I'm going to keep on doing it. <laughs> there you go. I like that. I like that. <laughs> yeah. So that, I, I know that that, well, I shouldn't say I know because I don't know hardly anything about this, but, but I believe that is like the most critical part in the, you know, if this, if, if this do or die time, right. If this doesn't work, then we're back to square one. And, uh, cause now this metal is, is changed in its molecular structure in a sense that it's just not going to be as, as good of a product now. Yeah. So, I mean, it's a catch 22. So uh, building a blade is just like building a house. You have a foundation that you work from, which is raw steel and every step counts in the end result, you know? So if mm-hmm. you heat your blade too hot to where it's almost melting and hammer on it, it will stress fracture and you're going to have cracks when you clinch. If you mm. hit your blade when it has cooled off too much and it's no longer at the critical temperature to move, you will also stress fracture your blade and they'll show up on the quench. Mm. If mm. you've done everything perfect up to the quench and you get it too hot at the quench, it'll stress fracture on you and you'll have cracks after the quench. So there are so many variables that add up wow. to that moment. But yes, that is the moment when you find out whether you did well or not. You know? Okay, yeah. sure. Sure, yeah. So so there's there's all those different things that it's kind of like the revealer. This is the this is the test to find Absolutely. out if I if the I moment of truth. <laughs> yeah, yeah, right. Yeah. yeah. If, I, if I messed up earlier. So what about for like a rifle barrel then? You know, let's say you're making a Do you ever make any like antique shotguns for anybody? So I've had made fowlers or smoothbores which is basically mm-hmm. an antique shotgun. Yes. Okay. Yeah. Okay, so so let's say you're making a, a shotgun for Brandon or a fowler for Brandon, and uh-huh. uh, you're going to uh, you know get to the critical point of making this so that he can he can use it in the field. 
what is what is the equivalent for making a gun that you know if i mess this up then this gun's back to the drawing board well once again many variables are involved even more so in building a rifle you know but i would say it all comes down to that first pull of the trigger but if all of your geometry is correct on the mechanics of the rifle, you have no fear, you know, but I mean, there are many ways to screw up a rifle as well. <laughs> and I've, I've done a few of them. So sure. You know, there's no make it or break it moment on a rifle per se. There are many, many opportunities to, to make that. Yeah, sure. Yeah. Well, Daniel, I, I was gonna, I was gonna ask, you know, what are you looking at? And I know obviously it ranges widely, but you know, you're talking about the standard skinning knife, you know, you're talking about uh, a rifle, like kind of give us an idea of how much time goes into some of the most typical things that you would make. All right. So let's say for a very basic rifleman's style knife with a six inch blade. So that's an early mm-hmm. American style full tang or hidden tang knife. Hmm. Let's say with an antler handle, a riveted iron end cap, a cast pewter bolster, bolster, and a hand-stitched bullhide sheath. You're looking yes. at a good four to five days start to finish on that. Wow. Knife. Wow. Yeah, that's a lot of work. And on a rifle, for our very basic rifles, you know, like we call it a poor boy. It doesn't have an iron butt plate. It has nothing fancy. There's no patch box. The The ramrod symbols are not filed octagonal. There's no silver, no engraving. It's our very bottom of the line rifle. They start mm-hmm. at 3K and take about a minimum of 30 days to build. Wow. That's Man. incredible. Just wow. for Just for one project. Now, are you able to like um, take a hour break from that one project and then, you know, work on something else just to like, you know, I don't know, freshen up your focus or something like that? Or do you when you got I have work, to sure yeah yeah because otherwise you'd probably, <laughs> you probably yeah. just get too obsessive right projects going at once yes yes and I bounce around a lot mm-hmm. yep. Especially if it's an extremely involved project, like I've learned from failure to when you get stressed out or angry at it, or it's not working, walk away. Because yeah, if you don't, right. You might really, really regret it and lose all the work that you put in. But if you can walk away and sleep on it, you'll come back in the morning and do it the right way. Yeah, well said. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Well, we're we're gonna start transitioning here into to hunting a little bit. But have you a favorite? thing to make for yourself is there is there a you know whether it's a knife or or a rifle or maybe it's just a tool but what's your like if you're going to treat yourself what are you going to be making for yourself hey everybody i hope you're enjoying this episode it's obviously something that's kind of totally different from uh anything that we've really covered before you know it's uh talking about a skill that yes absolutely directly applies to hunting but uh is you know just like i said something totally different i hope you're finding it to be interesting hope you uh realize how uh 
cool of a guy Daniel is and what he has going on there at his shop, Casey Arms, down there in Arkansas. I'll be sure you do follow the links that I put in these show notes to check him out and uh, maybe even make an order for yourself, sign up for a class, learn a new skill that um, I think is important to continue passing on into future generations. So I uh, hope you're, all that to say, I hope you're enjoying this one. Well, for today's tip of the day, I'm actually going to go back to something that I think I have used in a previous tip of the day. But the reason I'm going back to it is because it's very pertinent to what's going on in my life as a hunter right now. You guys know I'm going through a big move. So summer scouting is definitely on the back burner right now. I'm trying to rewire a house. Don't worry, I have an electrician doing the rewiring part. I'm just cutting holes in the walls. Yeah, we know how scary that'd be if I tried to do all that. But uh, I'm in the middle of a big project like that, obviously getting all our stuff moved. Uh, We're out here visiting family right now in New Hampshire. So summer scouting is taking a back seat, but that's okay. Once I get moved, I'll be able to do a lot more of that. I'll be living on the property that I'll be hunting most of the time. So everything will be good. But what can I do right now? Well, there's a couple things. Um, I should be trying to get myself in a little bit better shape than I have been. I've been doing okay so far this summer, but I need to I need to be doing a lot more with that. But the other thing that I'm doing is I'm trying to build up my gear. Wait a minute. Isn't that just an excuse to go shopping, Kent? Yeah, kind of. <laughs> but uh, there is a really big hunt that Alex Gruen and I from uh, East to West Hunts, good old Alex, who's been on the show a lot of times, we have something in the works Uh, for a big western hunt coming up here hopefully uh, next year 2022 and um, I have like very little gear that translates over to what we're going to be doing and so I'm sitting here trying to build up uh, a stockpile okay now how am I accomplishing this well (laughs) in an all-out approach Alex is helping me he's keeping his eye on like used gear sites and uh, he uh, I joined a uh, used gear page on social media where people are you know selling stuff that's in great shape they just didn't end up using it very much Um, I'm also using uh, you know things like uh, uh, marketplace Uh, I suppose I could uh, even take a look at Craigslist maybe find some stuff there you know like find the big pack that I'm gonna need all that kind of stuff Um, talking to friends who might have some stuff that they don't need anymore and would be willing to part with so that they can go buy something else Um, there's all sorts of things but two of the things that I really want to draw your attention to that I have before are Camifier and Black Ovis both of those sites i'm i'm i know this kind of sounds like a commercial because i'm you know signed up as a an affiliate advertiser for them but but honestly even through going through all those other things that i just talked about the vast majority of my stuff that i'm putting together and for very reasonable prices saving a ton of money really uh is camel fire so far i've, I've been looking at black ovis too just haven't haven't seen the uh exact thing that i'm looking for yet um but i'm confident that i'm going to end up picking up some stuff from there uh really it's just basically a, a point of as camel fire recycles their deals every day when they got a hot deal i spend that money now wait to spend money on some other things that i can't get on a screaming hot deal right now um later on and so i'll, I'll use black ovis then But I strongly recommend you use those resources because you can really start racking up. I mean, if I were to if I were to just pay tag value, I mean, shopping tag value here on on everything that I'm going to need for this trip, I'd be spending well into 
you know, probably five grand just on gear. But because I've been able to piece it together this way, I haven't even come close to spending a grand yet. And so I've, I've really been saving myself hundreds, if not thousands of dollars. Um, uh, probably not thousands yet because I haven't bought that much stuff yet. But eventually by the end, I will definitely have saved thousands just by using some of these creative means to piece together my, my uh, hunting gear repertoire, if that's even a term. Uh, so I know you may not be looking at a big western hunt. Hopefully, uh, if you're uh, just hunting your, you'll be able to have, reuse some of your gear that you have for, you know, living in the climate that you're in and hunting in the climate that you're in. But I strongly recommend, especially for you first gen hunters who have nothing, you're starting off at at square zero for your gear. Use some of these resources that are out there to piece together stuff very cheaply, and uh, you'll save yourself. A lot of money in the end, money that you can uh, spend on buying more tags and uh, keeping uh, your uh, significant other from being super mad at you for blowing all that dough out of the uh, general fund. <laughs> but uh, hopefully you can uh, put that into use. And if you do end up going to uh, Camel Fire and Black Ovis, be sure you find the link either in the show notes for this very episode or any other episode, or you go to my Instagram profile, hit my link tree and you'll find it just an easy click right there and you'll uh, be able to uh, um, shop to your heart's content and uh, you know if you're planning a hunt be sure to look Alex growing up too as well but that's my tip for you for today I hope you guys are having a excellent summer hope you're enjoying this episode with Daniel Casey let's get you back there right now Well, it's it's definitely changed a lot over the years. You know, I I've probably made myself a dozen knives or more over the years, and always end up giving them away or selling them, and then oh, I can just make myself another one. But uh, yeah. one of my oldest sisters is one of my biggest fans, and has always been a great encourager to me. She had a knife that I had made when I was about twelve years old, and had had it for all this time. And last mm. year. Right before my birthday, I had an extra knife completed and put it on our social media for sale and was like one of my favorite knives I've ever made. And she bought it saying it was for a friend. And then Mm. for my birthday, gifted that knife along with a knife I made when I was about 12 years old back to me and was like, you've come a long way. Oh, oh, wow. That knife is probably the most important thing that I've ever made to me, you know? Yeah. 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 What it shows is that she knows you and she knows the struggle of, you know, always being busy working on everybody else's projects that yes. that was probably the only way you were going to end up with, with something that, you know, a real piece that, that you wanted. So that was, yeah. that's, that's pretty that special. A very thoughtful gift. Absolutely. Yes. <laughs> yeah, definitely. Well, let's, uh, let's talk a little bit of hunting with your, um, your, what, what you make. So do you hunt? exclusively with your uh you know weapons you make in your in your forge or you know are you are you gonna take a modern weapon into the field with you absolutely not i do not exclusively hunt with only what i make but i do love to hunt with what i make i have Mm -hmm. had the opportunity to kill deer and squirrel and rabbits and waterfowl with 
shotguns and rifles and et cetera that I've built. And I've been able to hog hunt with spears that I've made. And I've been able to fish gig with gigs that I built mm. and mm-hmm. et cetera, you know, so all wonderful things and an adventure. Most of the weapons I don't have anymore. They've found another home since then. But I would mm-hmm. say that I love all ages of weaponry. I have a self bow made of Bodark with uh, river cane arrows that are turkey feather fletched, made mm. by a gentleman in Oklahoma named Eric Smith, who is a Native American and makes uh, a lot of bows and arrows for movie productions. And I traded him five tomahawks for that bow, and I get to hunt with that bow, and I use my Savage .30-06 on modern gun season, and I use my flintlock and muzzleloader, and I use the bow in bow season, you know, and I I have a Soger 12-gauge that I use for goose hunting and duck hunting. Mm -hmm. it's, It's just whatever the season affords. Mm. yes that's really cool so um, yeah do you uh ever like just get a muzzleloader tag from time to time just so you can have an excuse to go out there with one of your uh one of your rifles well i don't know how your state is but arkansas when you buy a standard 25 dollars hunting license you get two turkey tags five deer tags and then all your standard hunting rights you know so deer <laughs> oh, so <man>. prevalent here <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> we have deer running out our ears. And then, you know, we have far- friends with larger farms that have uh, extra doe tags that are provided by the game and fish to help control the population sure. and yeah. balance it out, per se. And so, I mean, you can shoot deer around here till you turn blue in the face. That is, that yeah, is that's so awesome. Cool. That's really cool. Now, can, can you explain, cause, just because I'm a deer nut and Brandon is too, in that diverse habitat in Arkansas, I guess in, in your central Arkansas, are you going up into the Ozarks to, to do that whitetail hunting? Or are they going to be mostly, you know, kind of like uh, what you got around here where they're going to be in, in kind of, you know, river bottom valleys and, and things like that? Or or uh, where, where are you um, finding that in, in Arkansas? good deer hunting i mean so i mean all of your monsters are going to come from southern and eastern arkansas where there's swampy delta soybean fields corn fields Mm -hmm. rice fields you know sweet peas all of that kind of thing as far as the eye can see they love the marshes we get massive rabbits and deer down there Mm -hmm. when you get into the hills you get some good deer but you'll have a lot of scrubby deer as well you know and it's yeah. kind of a half and half. You have just as good a chance for a Boone and Crockett to walk out as you do for a little basket case 10 point, you know? Yeah. So literally I own five acres and I'm on top of a hill where my house is and we pour a bag of corn. It's legal to bait deer in Arkansas out mm-hmm. about a hundred yards down the hill. And if my kids want one, they see, they can shoot it. You know, when new season is on and it's that <laughs> yeah. easy to shoot a deer here. But in the same breath, I have a friend with a 1200 acre farm and beautiful ridges and valleys and stands and blinds, you know, and we go hunt there too. And there's a lot of bigger deer there because they have a much more controlled area. So yes, they are everywhere. But if you are hunting horns, then you definitely need to go to the bigger areas. Mm-hmm. that's interesting it's, it's cool that you have it mapped out like that too now what about yeah. um turkey hunting is that are are you finding turkeys in most of the places you're finding deer or do you gotta kind of go to a specific region for good turkey hunting in arkansas 
Men, to be honest with you, turkey hunting is really sporadic here. Everybody mm. sees and hears turkey when it's not turkey season. But yeah, when turkey right. season rolls around, it's like they randomly migrate. And like this year, they made the season a little later to try to let them, you know, go through their heat a yeah. little before the season and, you know, secure all the breeding. And it really affected the turkey season. And I have a lot of friends that didn't see anything and only a few friends that did well. So yeah. turkey hunting, I mean, we hear them, we see them, they're on our deer cams, they're at our feeders, but it's a, you know, it's a gamble every season. There's no guaranteed spot you're going to go and find turkeys every time, or at least if there is. I have not yet been invited. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, turkeys are just kind of a, and we've talked about this before, Brandon, but turkeys are just kind of an interesting species in North America. You know, they're, they're native to yep. much of the country. In fact, uh, I think Brandon, you were even saying once that they're found in like 40 plus States or something like that. There, mm -hmm. there's some kind of, yeah. you know, species of, of wild or subspecies of wild Turkey present there, but yeah. they, they seem to be pretty sensitive to their environment. You know, they, for one, yeah. they were <laughs> wiped out in much of our country, yeah. unfortunately yeah. at one time, yeah. yeah. but uh, now recently they, they just don't seem to have to be doing as, as great in uh, recent years yeah. again here. So, you know, I think a big part of it around here and, I, I assume the game and fish would agree, but I don't know. But when I was younger and even 20, 30 years ago, everybody used to coon hunt and trap and mm -hmm. hardly anybody does that anymore. And if you think about the increase in coyotes and raccoons and possums and all of these predators yeah. that prey on turkey eggs and turkey hatchlings, yeah. then it yeah. makes perfect sense to me why we don't have the turkey population that we used to have. Yeah. Yeah. Well I've said. I've heard that argument as well. And I think it, I think it makes a lot of sense. You know, I think, I think sometimes we can, um, we can, uh, forget about, you know, some of the, the hidden details like that. And again, you know, trapping is almost like a blacksmithing and you're running coons with, with a couple of hounds, you know, that's that's almost like blacksmithing it's it's kind of a it really a, a lost right. a, a lost yeah. art or a you know something that that people don't take a lot of interest in and you know sadly mm -hmm. you know we had um marcus gray on here he's from he's from missouri and he, he he lives elsewhere now i can't remember what state he's i think he's in maybe new york now um but he's a he's a wildlife biologist and and probably the the number one squirrel guy that i know of uh mm -hmm. i mean just love squirrel hunting but how many people can you say truly love squirrel hunting anymore and right yeah and uh you know i think it's i think it's important to just like with blacksmithing or or um any you know old trade to be to remember their significance to celebrate their significance and try and and even in some cases where needed recover their significance and so yeah, um that, that's uh i i agree you know and another one that you could probably throw in there would be uh skunks that nobody's real interested in catching skunks and for obvious reasons i don't know that they were ever really <laughs> widely pursued but but uh yeah you know each thing is a player but but um even in uh some conversation that 
that uh, I heard you and Brandon talking about earlier. Habitat's a big, probably the biggest piece, especially in the 21st century is, you know, I've, I've given this lecture listeners are probably rolling their eyes right now, but, but I'll, uh, I'll make this point till the, till the day that I can no longer speak. And that is just look around us at how we, and it goes all back to the thing we were talking about earlier about a, a throwaway mindset of, you know, always replacing things and, and not, you know, not trying to find what's salvageable in, in something and, and make it work yeah. again or something, you know, that, that not only takes resources, but it takes space. And we, we remove some of these areas from, from uh, the landscape and critters don't have room to, to live anymore and room to hide from predators. And, and then when you have more predators on the landscape too, in some cases, along with the loss of habitat, you get kind of a, a double-edged sword type of a problem yeah. for, for the game species. So yeah, most definitely, especially if you throw pesticides and herbicides in there. Yeah. Yeah. Right. And that, yeah. and that would go back to the turkeys as well, you know, cause as you're wiping out insects, well, I'm talking about a protein source. Uh, that's probably Absolutely. the number one protein source for, for um, you know, not only turkeys, but around here in my part of the the country, uh, pheasants and quail and, and things like that. They need those. Yeah. They need bugs, <laughs> and they need yeah, uh, absolutely. They need uh, messy fields that provide that that uh, vegetation for cover. I wish and things you, like I that. wish we could send you some bugs, man. We got a surplus of them. I bet. <laughs> yeah, we got pl- we got plenty of insecticides for them too here in the the corn state. Yeah. So, <laughs> but well, mm-hmm. you know, yep. kind of as we move through this survey here of of um you know hunting where to hunt and and what to look for in arkansas um which i think is it's kind of a kind of an eclectic part of this episode but i think it's an important part here that we we tie this in so people can you know you got those liberal uh uh, tags (laughs) for deer season down there and everything else everyone's really going to be chomping at the bit to go go down to arkansas and hunt but is black bear season is there such a thing or are bears still at a recovery point in arkansas that they're kind of holding off on that so far so there is still a black bear season and they are sighted not commonly in my area but at least annually and uh they are much more prevalent north of us so i have two buddies that went in recently and bought a cabin near marshall arkansas which is also where they've recently reintroduced the elk and uh, they have bear everywhere in like Clarksville, Arkansas, Russellville, hmm. Arkansas. A lot of Arkansas has a healthy bear population, and there is a regular season. Well, that's great. That's great to hear. It's really cool. Yeah. yeah, I think that kind of follows you know some trends elsewhere in the state or not state the country, or that's. I think that could almost you know possibly be our next our next uh, native species here in uh, North America that, you know, once was very prevalent in our country and kind of got knocked back to, you know, the North and the West. Um, They're just starting to, starting to show back up, you know, just about every year now, if we get word of bears being sighted in Iowa and and in our neighboring state, Illinois, you know, and uh, I think that that's uh, I think that's a good sign that maybe some of the, some of the efforts that we're doing for conservation and and habitat recovery and so forth, you know, hopefully we're getting Mm -hmm. somewhere just like what we did with the turkeys. Yeah. Absolutely. Man, if you talk to old timers around here that grew up in the 50s or 60s hunting, we have got it made in Arkansas yeah. nowadays yeah. compared yeah. to what they well had. 
they tell me that back then they wouldn't even think of shooting a doe. Like you, you would straight up be shamed by your neighbors if you shot a doe back yeah. in those days. And because the deer population was so small and everybody yeah. wanted it to grow. True. And nowadays yeah. the doe tags, you can pile the doe up, you know? I mean, yeah. 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 It's crazy yeah. how good we have it. We've come along. Yeah. Way. Well said. Yeah. In a in a conversation that that uh you know sings sings the praises of the good old days. That's one way that I've I've heard it said we are in the good old days right now with, yeah, with the, the right. wildlife that we have. Yep. So it's easy to easy to look at the negative, but there is a lot of positive to to celebrate right now as well. Well, you know, yeah. we talked we talked a little bit about the elk already earlier in the show, so I won't I won't rehash that, but you know, maybe kind of a, a good way to close out this this uh, episode before we give you a chance to um, tell people how to find you and, and you know what what they can expect from uh, Casey Arms. What do you think is the most underappreciated thing about hunting in Arkansas or even specifically the Ozarks region? That's a big old question, right there. <laughs> <laughs> most underappreciated and it could it doesn't just have to be a a species specific thing you know it could be a landscape thing you know like a natural beauty thing or something well i mean to be honest with you i think that the most underappreciated thing or aspect of hunting in general across the nation is getting out in nature and being in the quiet and being Mm. by yourself and being able to unwind and appreciating nature and observing and, you know, admiring nature. To me, that's what it's becoming more about every year. The older I get, it's not about killing something every time or bringing meat home, you know, it's more about the experience. And I think that that's something that's really important, especially for young kids is to be out there and learn to be quiet and learn to be by yourself that none of us appreciate as much as we should you know every hunting show is amped up for that moment of the release of the arrow right but yeah. it's about a lot more than that you know i think it's almost spiritual if you want to look at it that way yeah but if we had to say a species that's underappreciated in arkansas i'd say it's cajun style hog hunting that mm. is by far the most exhilarating thing that you can do is that is that what you were talking about with the hogs and the spear earlier or the hogs the dogs the dogs and the spear yes 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 so you have a pack of dogs you have bay dogs which are dogs that sniff down the hog and bay or bark to tell you where it is and they basically hold the hog in place till you get there with your catch dogs and your catch dogs have a kevlar collar usually spikes in a basically like a bulletproof vest of kevlar to keep them safe from the hog and they go in and latch onto that hog either by an ear or a nose and they'll hold it till you get there. And when you get there, one man grabs the back legs and stretches them out and the other man sticks him wow. and it's pretty fast, <laughs> wow. field, but boy, your, your heart's pumping before. Yeah. It I, bet. I bet. Yeah. That's hand to hand combat with a yeah, big old no boy, kidding, man. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And, and, yep. and I mean, a hog always finds the lowest, nastiest place he can to hole up into. So you usually have to hustle it, carrying your spear and dragging a catch dog with you for the last couple hundred yards to get to the hog. Man. So your heart's already pumping when you get there. It's an adventure for sure. Yeah. Wow. 
Yeah, that's that's uh that's really crazy to to imagine hunting that way. I don't know that I could. It's kind of like a noodling for catfish. I don't know if I could uh, if I got what it takes. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> right. Uh, Man, we love frog gigging around here too. Mm. I don't know if y'all do that out there or not, but my cousins all down in Louisiana around here, we use a gig on a ten or twelve foot handle and we stick the frog and throw him in a cooler until we got a cooler full. Sure. All my cousins in Louisiana, they jump out of the boat and catch the frogs with their hands. And I don't know if you've ever met a water moccasin or not, but they're pretty aggressive. Yeah. So it can be an adventure too. Oh man. Yeah. Yeah. That's... See, Kent, I, I think that's confirmation that uh, it's definitely the South. They ain't the Midwest. Okay? That's right. Yeah. We don't go. <laughs> we don't right. go jumping into water moccasin holes here. And I don't. I don't even know if we have any water moccasins in Iowa. I've always heard. <laughs> I've always heard rumors that we do down in the South, but uh, I don't. I don't think. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Right. Oh, you got to be committed when you show up to hunt around here. Oh, yeah. Yes, that's so. what it sounds like. Yeah, you guys probably have a fair amount of rat timber rattlesnakes too, don't you? You know, rattlers are in the state. And in my lifetime, 34 years, I have seen one, and it was over six foot long. But they are not nearly as common as copperheads are everywhere. And then water moccasins are by everybody of water in the state, pretty much, Mm. unless it's Mm. cold and spring fed, you know. Sure. There's a whole lot of them. Are are copperheads? Are they're they're near water too? Typically, aren't they? Are they, are they? Can they just be out in the middle of a, of a field or a forest as well? Yeah, they are pretty widespread. I mean, I think all snakes are attracted to water for the aspect of prey coming to water, but sure. copperheads are random here. Like you can find it in a dry, rocky place or in a swampy place, and they blend perfectly. And luckily, you know, a copperhead is not near as likely to kill you as a rattler or a water moccasin, but mm. I'm sure it's not enjoyable. <laughs> yeah, that's a good way to put it there. <laughs> I can't can't imagine that it would be in any way, shape, or form. Well, as we uh, draw to a close here, we definitely want to make sure that our listeners can uh, hear how to track down Casey Arms. And so uh, I think probably the, the first place to start would be uh, uh, the website, which is, is it just CaseyArms.com? Is that is that the website or is there is it different than That's that? That's correct, yes. www.CaseyArms.com. And you can also follow us on Facebook and Instagram at CaseyXArms. And on Facebook, we have two profiles, uh, a business product services page and then a just a normal Casey Arms fan page. And the product services page is the one that we do most of our updates and new projects, et cetera, on. Okay. Yeah, that's that's uh, that's good to know. I, I will share, as always, I'll share links in the show notes for uh, uh, where you can find uh, Casey. And uh, if you haven't taken advantage of that, make sure you do at some point. Go uh, hit the little see more button on the episode and uh, that, that'll include those links. You just have to simply click on them and it'll take you right where you need to be. So make sure uh, you guys check that out. If you're listening to this, sorry if you hear my kids. Uh, my wife's working tonight, so uh, I am uh, I am uh, daddy daycare tonight. But um, hi, Margo. Uh, <laughs> uh, she's upset because I think her uh, brother stole her blankets from her while they were sitting on the couch together. But hey, um, that sibling thing, man, it's good. Uh, yeah, right. That's right. <laughs> Uh, but, but make sure you check out, uh, Daniel there. And then also Daniel, can you give a quick, uh, rundown on just, uh, uh, 
I guess for lack of a better term, the services that Casey Arms uh, offers. I know you guys run some classes, uh, but also, uh, you know, how people can put in an order, that kind of thing. Sure. So uh, if you're interested in having anything custom built whatsoever, you can contact us through our website. We have a get a quote option and that sends you directly to our email. And in that option, we ask, if you're wanting a blade, a rifle, or a custom item such as furniture, gates, or chandeliers, etc., and we just hmm. ask for a couple pictures, a general description and measurements, or you can just email us directly at all lowercase Daniel at caseyarms.com. And uh, we offer a wide variety of products, anything from antique weapons to custom furniture, as mentioned previously. And mm -hmm. I mean, if you can dream it, we can build it. We are open to custom builds of any kind. And uh, we really, we focus on traditional aspects and heirloom quality finished products. So mm -hmm. I love that description, heirloom yeah. quality. Yeah, that's great. Yeah, that, mm -hmm. that's, a, that's the best way to describe it. I think something that you're going to be not only proud to hang on to for the rest of your life but proud to pass on to the next generation that's that's for yeah sure. absolutely that's our goal is that you can pass it on and we hope if we make it you get some blood on it yeah that's, <laughs> I, I like that love that i'm gonna have to right. i'm gonna have to do some more uh spend some more time on your website and come up with my own order here one of these days because yeah I I absolutely love to get a piece like made it. like that so but thank you so much gentlemen for for coming on the show tonight be sure if you're listening check out daniel's stuff and uh you know if you can uh, track down those episodes of of uh iron and fire and um the forged and fire episode and just see the talent that daniel has um it's it's uh really something that that is <laughs> jaw dropping i remember when i uh shared the uh video with brandon i was like hey we're gonna talk yes. to, to daniel he was like <laughs> wow you've got to be kidding me this is incredible yeah. <laughs> so yeah, immediately uh, excited <laughs> yes yes well ken and brandon thank you so much for the opportunity i really enjoyed talking with both of y'all and i hope that uh Y'all can use it for your podcast. I look forward to hearing it. And uh, if y'all ever get down towards Arkansas, you got my number. Look me up. Yeah, I love that. Thank man. you. Yeah, I love I'm that. Thinking, Thank I'm you. thinking we should try a hog hunt with you sometime. Maybe not. Maybe, yeah. I might not be ready for the Cajun style uh, hog hunting yet. <laughs> oh, but, uh, <laughs> come on, sweetheart. <laughs> Oh, I suppose you could probably you could probably drag me in there and uh, get I'd, I'd, I'd have a smile I'd have a smile on my face by the end of it I'm sure. <laughs> oh man, yeah. Well, I I oh, love that yeah. idea. I'd love to love to hunt with you sometime. That'd be a ton of fun. And and let me know if you ever want to come up here to to the Midwest and see what we got going on. I'd be happy to treat you to something up here too. We don't have any hogs to to kill unless uh, you're you're wanting to talk about you know agricultural hogs. But, but yeah, right. <laughs> we got plenty. Got plenty of. Well, probably, if you got any more. dogs that'll hold a bear down, I'll do that too. There you go. Yeah, that, that'd be that'd be that'd be something. Oh man! But, oh well, boys, it's been fun. Get them kids tucked in. I appreciate y'all. Yep, for sure. Thank, Thank you, Daniel. you so much, Daniel. And uh, also, make sure you check out uh, Brandon's site, thehuntfishlife.com. Head over to First Gen Hunter as well. You can find all of our social media pages between our our uh, our websites there, and uh, you can uh, you know interact with us and and everything else. But until next time, everyone, we hope you enjoyed this one. Quite a bit different pace than normal. Whole lot of fun, and uh, 
Mm. Until next time, take care and take someone hunting. Mm.